to the Keelhauled Podcast. I'm the voice of Sea of Thieves, and we've got a lot of Sea of Thieves news for you. So tie yourself to the mast and hold fast. Ahoy there, pirates. I hope you had yourself a good week and a good weekend. I know I did. This week, I'm joined by none other than Captain Deadeye Dre and Jeff the Brash from the Golden Sands blog post to talk about the shrine lore that came in with season four, as well as some of the news resulting from uh, Fury of the Damned event and some of the delays with that, and just some overall Sea of Thieves uh, random speculation. So uh, with that, let's get into it. But first, I want to thank the patrons who went over to patreon.com forward slash keelhauled podcast, just like you can, who are now supporting the podcast because they want to make sure that they are uh, helping contribute to the podcast that I put out for it. It means the world to me that they are doing this because it helps pay for a lot of the software and the hardware that I've been using uh, to make this podcast and helping take care of that. So I wanted to shout out Chateau Neuf, Cosmic Johnson, El Jefe Esteban, Trickster, Jabaro 5, Akazia the Rogue, Lumpy SRQ, Dub Dub Goose, Evil Morpheus. Xbox Mike 29, Munchie, Registella, TN Professor, Vibralux, Big Bad Pad, Mina Fairy Super Pack, Davram TV, Fergatron, Skinny Matt, Straw Hat, Connor, Windsor, Chris, and Zam. Wow. Thank you all so much for your support. Again, if you do so, I really appreciate it. You get your name shout out on the podcast. It helps pay for uh, the, the software that I'm using. It helps pay for the upgrades that I've made this year so that I can help present a better podcast for you. So with that being said, let's get to the actual show. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Keelhob Podcast. I have none other than Captain Deadeye Dre and Captain, well, he goes by Golden Sands blog post on Twitter, but it is Jeff the Brash. Uh, gentlemen, how are you two doing? Jeff, how you been? Uh, I've been well. Uh, I've been enjoying Sea of Thieves, enjoying the Halloween season, uh, football season, all the good stuff. my favorite time of year. So, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing good. Awesome. Andre, how are you doing? Welcome. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing pretty damn well as well. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to have I'm you guys on. Well. It's It's been an awesome yeah. season. We've had a lot of really cool content come in. And while I've covered most of the news side of things and some of the changes that have come with this season and the, the content that's come in, I haven't gotten a chance to dive into the lore. And I thought it would be a great opportunity to call on you two to help kind of bounce off theories and ideas uh, with you to try and talk about some of the things that are going on in Sea of Thieves to make sure that maybe there was a a thread of thought that I hadn't thought of. And I just wanted to, because I have questions. As mm-hmm. always with Sea of Thieves, it always feels like every time there is new content, it answers two questions and raises like 17. So I w- wanted to talk to you guys about yeah. what was going on with this. So, um, but first off, I wanted to talk to you guys about what you've been doing. So uh dre you've had a pretty integral part into a pretty big reveal that came uh via the merfolks lullaby recently you've been working on the history of sea of thieves um do you want to dive a little bit into what that's been so that's kind of just sort of it's a been an ongoing project and just the idea of there's no place anywhere in the sea of thieves community that really lays out what has happened in the sea of thieves in its history, in the bits of lore that we've got, and puts into sort of like a structure of a timeline, or even just gives all the information out there. There's still some more I've got to put in the timeline, actually. But yeah, it was a sort of like, here's a resource for people to be able to refer back to that is as accurate as I and the other people who have worked on it can make it to be. Yeah, it's, as, a, as a general brief rundown of it. 
It's really great. This is over on Merfolk's mm. uh, Lullaby. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. And you've been working with uh, Scalia. I can never remember. Yeah, yeah, like all the design. You've got to give out a massive shout out to Scalia. But all the design and how it looks and functions is down to Scalia. They do brilliant web design work. Yeah. Yeah, they really do. It's 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 mm. really fun to kind of just scroll through and, and kind of go through the rest of the uh, the history and even remember some things that were in the books and the comics that I I honestly had forgotten about. Little interactions that I I hadn't yeah. anticipated, but it's something that is still it's still integral because you never know when it might get brought back up again in the in the the game right, itself. Exactly. There's so, stuff in the at the moment is sort of like just kind of there as you can kind of then see. Oh, there's these threads that have kind of been brought up during all the stuff that they've created so far and you can kind of see oh it's going to be expanded on at some point obviously the flame heart stuff that's all going to be really expanded upon at some point so that, that section about flame heart is going to get really robust hopefully one day that'd yeah. be really interesting to see how that then connects with other things right right yeah. it's it's such a weird it's such an overarching aspect of the the story of sea of thieves and it, it feels like every every update we're trying to see if there's something that kind of progresses a little bit further and right now at yeah. least it feels like we're getting this kind of smaller arc that deals with the history of sea of thieves in season four uh which i think is a great opportunity for us to to kind of talk about merfolk lullabies uh the the history of sea of thieves and just kind of how that that plays out um but i wanted to to jump over to jeff jeff you're still helming the golden sands blog post it's still one of my favorite websites to go to for news along with rare thief and merfolk's lullaby uh you guys have recently put out a really well in-depth uh guide for the the shrines in this update so um, have you guys been, what have, what have you kind of been working on outside of that? You got anything coming up? Not a whole lot. Well, we're, we're basically just kind of, um, you know, when the new season launches, it's a big drop of, of content, both in the game, but also in terms of the content that we're creating, uh, Dre also helps me with that. So then kind of between seasons, we will sometimes do smaller things like, um, during the pirate's life season three. We did some fun little articles like our top five favorite Easter eggs and things in the tall tales. And, um, but we kind of do that stuff to just uh, fill the air and give us our, give ourselves a break between the the big content drops of a season. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, season four was a, a big one in terms of uh, six shrines that had to be described. You know, how do you navigate these dungeons? Where do you find all the journals? Um what is a siren treasury and and all the other new things so it has been a good season in terms of new content and then that's just my bread and butter on on the blog is i kind of describe a lot of the gameplay uh walkthrough type stuff and then dre helps me out a lot more with covering the lore side of things uh which we still have a a lot of lore content to work on uh through the rest of the season we kind of put put that stuff later in the season so people have time to uh experience it themselves and then later in the season dre will kind of recap everything um and there's sometimes everything. yeah say there's sometimes stuff that gets put out on the social media as well that happens right. during the season so that needs to kind of like be brought up yeah it's yeah. really mm -hmm. some yeah. of the in some of those things too i really love the tri trivia tuesdays that we've had uh for mm -hmm. a while now because it, it does kind of enlighten certain aspects of 
Sea of Thieves, most of the stuff I think most of us are pretty comfortable with, but some of them it feels like uh, like we're, we're getting some fresh news coming in from time to time. Yeah, definitely. And I think especially if, uh, you know, some of us who've been at this since the beginning, we take a lot of bits of lore for granted. Um, we understand all of the nuts and bolts of, of Sea of Thieves, but then so many players have joined Sea of Thieves late, you know, after launch, maybe this the second year or the third year or this past summer. And so um, there's a lot of that stuff they'll bring up and they'll say, oh, did you know that uh, the Raper's Bones were created by Wanda, who used to be a warsmith on Golden Sands Outpost? Like little stories that are not experienced uh, in the game anymore. You just had to be there. Which is also, I think, goes right back to Dre's uh, timeline. So that's a great resource for people who missed out on aspects of the lore. Or maybe they can't get access to the books and comic books and things. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that's not just readily available in the game. Um, but that's a big piece also with a Golden Sands blog post is just trying to preserve that stuff that is temporary. Uh you know, in season four, there might be temporary dialogue and there might be stuff that was revealed on social media. And it's important to us to compile that in one place so that uh, it doesn't just get forgotten on the Internet. It's it is somewhere you can go and access it. It's ironic, too, because I recently saw a post maybe a month or two ago where the devs had realized uh, that they, they needed to reach back to some of that that kind of uh, ethereal information that they put out and you know if not for for your site as well as rare thief and in the wiki and a a few slew of others uh that information is not always easily obtained sometimes you really have to dig through past tweets and stuff and that can be pretty tough if you're not sure what keywords to look for uh outside of just the the sea of thieves handle so it's great that you guys are taking it upon yourself to kind of catalog and record a lot of this content uh, a lot of stuff that people We'll probably use at some point or another, or if they have a question, it's it's nice that someone is taking the time to uh, document all of this and and make sure that it's time stamped so that we have proper uh, listings for for when things were introduced. I think one of the um, I can't remember who does it, but every season uh, we get the new loading screen. And uh, there's one Twitter account, and, and I can't remember who it is, but I think he always grabs the. Or no, Jeff, don't you do this? Don't you always grab? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I believe Wait there is a guy on Twitter who does it as well. <laughs> and yeah, uh, on Golden Sands, we do have a, a post that we update every single season or every big update. Anytime they change that main menu title screen at the at the table yeah. with the skulls in the in the big you know game logo, uh, and you can go back and on our page. Um, if you're on our blog and you go to editorials, you'll find it on there. And uh, you can just scroll through and look at all of the title screens. And, and it's really funny to go back to the beginning because they, they're so uh, simple and and uh kind of almost boring compared to the stuff that they've been doing with the with those title screens ever since. Um, but it's a it's fun. It's a fun little trip down memory lane. Yeah, I, I, I definitely and some of them have become like favorites, too. I think there's definitely quite a few where they just had the right theme and they had a really clear idea of what they wanted to do with it. And they've really tried to, instead of just saying like, this is what a pirate table might look like for Sea of Thieves, like one one thing in, they've really kind of thrown in, I think A Pirate's Life was a great example of each quadrant of the, the actual loading screen represented a different tall tale or aspects of a tall tale. And it isn't mm-hmm. until you get through all of the tall tales that you're like, oh yeah, that is, that's where that's from. Uh, so I really love how they're kind of 
sprucing up, maybe adding a little spice to the loading screens for the content that's actually coming into the game? Yeah, I guess one thing I, I almost regret is uh, if, if I would have thought of this way back when, I would have captured video of everyone because uh, they are animated and they do have music and sometimes the music is different from season to season or, or update to update. And um, I know, like, for example, they had the one for season, I think it was season one, where they had chickens all over the, the screen. Yeah, they did. <laughs> but it, it's it's way different as a static image than if it was a video, because the chickens are popping their heads up and looking around and clucking and um, yeah. little things like that would have been nice to capture. Although I don't think they'd be hard to find uh, on YouTube. If, you know, if you go to anyone who was streaming something that season, you could probably see them booting up the game and, and see that menu. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's it's funny that you bring up YouTube because I think that's probably going to be the the best way to do it because it feels like Twitch is so so kind of uh, uh, not ethereal but um, corporal uh, where corporeal yeah. uh, where it, you know it's only going to last so long that yeah people don't really keep the vods for that too much unless it gets uploaded mm, to YouTube. Typically. Yeah, so. they is if you're a streamer and you stream every day of the week. Um, that content is a bit more disposable. You don't expect that people are going to go back and want to rewatch bits. And, and, and if they did, it'd be so much, uh, so many VODs for them to upload all the time. So I understand, but yeah, definitely YouTube. There's people who yeah. have been, you know, putting out YouTube content for Sea of Thieves from the beginning. So yeah. you can find great stuff on there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, I, w I wanted to, to touch a little bit on uh season four because you guys have uh, been categorizing everything that's been going on you guys have been doing doing a great job uh putting out guides and stuff for that as well too but overall we're coming off the heels of uh pirate's life which is probably the the best update that we've had to see of thieves in the last year uh how are you feeling about season four in general jeff uh I'm impressed with it because I think that if they if they had told you, you know, here's the pirate's life, it's massive. We spent most of our time working on this and now season four is going to be a big step back and, and we don't have a lot to give to you. It, it would have been understandable. They could have had a very small season. Um, and I don't feel like what they have added is a small season. Um, it's certainly more content than seasons uh, one or two. Uh, you know, six bespoke unique dungeons to explore. Uh, and then there's the treasuries uh, and, and whatever other minor changes they, that they've updated, which they always have minor changes like that. But um, it's it's nice. It's not just like a big step back after a pirate's life. I mean, it is a step back because you you were never gonna match a pirate's life uh, in, in terms of scope, you know. But um, I I lo I like the the shrines quite a bit. I think it's fun to do each one of them at least one time through and experience the kind of the unique puzzle or the unique gimmick to each one. Finding those journals. I don't know how fun they are necessarily to repeat for months on end. Like, you know, in, in we, you know, I, I've already basically got to a point where I, I'm done doing them. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've done all of them a lot of times by now. Um, but I think the one aspect they did that's the smartest thing is that uh, the coral message in the bottle uh, that says, you know, oh, if you get this voyage go to the shrine and then you can find a breath of the sea that adds that little bit of extra push where maybe you've done all the shrines and you're bored of them and you don't want to do them anymore or or, or not necessarily that you don't want to do them but you're not going to go out of your way to do them then 
you find this message in a bottle and it might motivate you. So that is what's kind of motivating me right now. I do want to get all the commendations for the breaths of the sea. Um, on the flip side, the other big thing was the treasuries. And I'm finding those to be very fun, very repeatable. They, they don't get old. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been enjoying it. See, that's that's what I'm really curious about. And Dre, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this. We've had the shrines out for a few weeks now. Um, most folks have gotten a chance to do them at least one go around. Uh, there's a, a fair amount of lore in there. And these these to me are really unique because they are not like gold vaults where you know exactly what to expect as soon as you get into a gold vault. So you can uh, kind of min max what you're going to do when you get to a gold vault with a shrine being that each one is is unique and they all have different little locations for their loot. It's not just one room with everything in it. Uh, how are you feeling about the 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 replayability of the shrines versus the the actual treasuries and how those compare uh, to say like going out and having to do a voyage to get a vault key to then do a treasure vault or a gold vault? So my thoughts on like the shrines is they're really interesting and unique locations that I'm not really sure like if they're worth the gold they're worth going into to explore and to experience and to learn the lore and they are beautifully crafted there are some of the most stunning locations in the game at the moment but like because you have to dive down and you leave your ship i don't really personally feel that there's many well, there's much value to do like an emissary or to raise the emissary flag like if you're doing a gold vault you're going to go out and you're going to raise gold hoarders because mm -hmm you know you're going to get loads of treasure and probably hit grade five really quickly um but with a shrine it's much more riskier you would have to leave somebody on the ship to um stay on the ship to look after it if anyone comes after you um and you're not necessarily sure what kind of loot you're going to get down there sometimes you can get some really good loot other times it might not be as good so it is all about kind of like getting those breath of the seas, getting those coral in coral message in a bottle quests, uh, voyages even, and going out with those. Whereas the treasuries, I feel like they, you can kind of go down there and know what to expect. And maybe you want to raise an emissary and do those. I think the treasuries are the things that are going to last longer for in, in like the game's lifespan. The shrines have a really interesting opportunity to maybe be woven into voyages or tall tales in the future and i think that's probably where they'll go with that that's why i'd probably plan to go with them personally um but yeah i think the treasuries are comparable to gold vaults but the shrines themselves are very standalone they're very new locations that you probably will want to just go down there every now and then but probably not every time that you play unless you get the coral matches in a bottle you know i i would add to that i think that um, there's a lot of value in having a unique experience, even if it Definitely. isn't something that you can repeat a hundred times. Um, you know, if you look at the shrines just as like one long quest, you do all six shrines, you find all the journals, and then you do that, uh, legend of the sunken kingdom voyage. And that might take you something like 10 hours to get it all done. I mean, depending on how good you are at finding journals and stuff. Um, and so even if you don't repeat anything after that, you just got like a 10 hour kind of quest that you got to experience and it was all kind of unique and interesting. Um, and then you can move on and then maybe you won't do shrines for a long time, or maybe only if you find a message in a bottle, or maybe only if they do a special event in six months, it's like earn build rat favor 
favor by doing the shrines and you're like, I guess I'll do them again. Um, but, you know, even if you never repeat them again, I think it was a fun one-time experience um that was worth doing i think that's how a lot of people treat the tall tales they only maybe yeah. will do them once and and it's still worth having them in the game jeff i think you bring up and a, a point that i hadn't really considered i think it is it it's both a a, a blessing in a in a in a curse that sea of thieves doesn't charge for content updates uh everything that they charge for is all cosmetic um because i i hadn't thought about the fact that we base a lot of the updates on how fun they are what they bring to the table uh both figuratively and and literally uh if you're throwing down voyages and with what you say is is what i would guess is pretty accurate i would say i probably got at least 10 hours the first run uh worth of content from this update uh i've i've spent more um money i've spent actual money on indie games that lasted less time and didn't fulfill me nearly as much and maybe that is is biased towards sea of thieves in general but overall i would say that this has probably been some of the best content that i've seen that hasn't been tied to a tall tale in a while uh i, I think the fort of fortune was great i think it was a really awesome introduction to a way to uh kind of bring back some of that joy of going to a skeleton fort back when those were the only world events but compared to the shrines and the unique uh aesthetic of each one the the design of each one as well as the treasuries being sort of these mini forts i think the thing that really kind of keeps pressing in my mind is the fact that every single one of these shrines all all three of the treasuries are accessible without any kind of reputation re uh, requirement and without any kind of uh, voyage requirement you can literally pop in uh, especially if you're you know say you're playing on xcloud and you just want to go do something for 45 minutes it's so easy to grab a ship with someone uh, jump over to a treasury kill a bunch of stuff grab a bunch of loot and then go turn it in without really having to commit to a, a two-hour voyage and i think that was always that's always been the issue with sea of thieves is sea of thieves is always commanded a large amount of your time when you do want to do something uh of value and i think the shrines really take a, an opportunity for us to reevaluate how we approach each voyage especially if you don't necessarily have a whole lot of time uh going out to a shipwreck right off the bat finding a coral message in a in a bottle and heading over to the the respective shrine to get that as well as any little trinkets that you happen to find along the way can actually net out a decent amount of gold per hour uh, or gold per minute, depending on if that's the thing that you kind of uh, look for in, in Sea of Thieves, um, without really having to commit a whole lot of time. Um, do you do you agree yeah. with me on that, or is that is that just kind of my feelings I, on it? I do oh, actually. Now you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Just, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, now you brought it up. It's like the six shrines. You know, unless somebody is already there and done them or whatever, they're going to have loot in them. You can't say the same about going to a random island and knowing that there will be definitely loot there without a voyage. So in that way, hopping into the game saying, I just want to get some quick loot. If you go to the nearest shrine, you know there's going to be some loot down there. There's going to be a bit of a challenge to get to that loot and some puzzles and all that. And then you've got loot for, you, for your time. That hasn't You haven't had to go out and buy a voyage. You haven't had to follow any additional steps. You've just gone to this location that you know is there. You might know how to do it, you might not, but you've got loot for your, your time. And it's protected loot as well, which is kind of interesting. We haven't really spoke about the um, storage mermaids. Yeah, I was going to say that literally that is how I have been playing the game through a lot of Season 4, is quick in and out 
like I'll, I'll hop in the game and sail to the nearest treasury and then i'll just do the treasury get the treasure sell it and then hop off the game and it's taken me like 30 minutes maybe 45 minutes um and especially early on in a season i like to play like that because uh you know i'm, I'm watching my renown go up and uh I, these are still pretty new experiences with the treasuries um i find this treasury super satisfying because you you grab like a a trident of dark tides and you get to blow up gunpowder skeletons and stuff and it's just really satisfying um but yeah that that kind of like hop in and do something quick that's just predictable and 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 uh you know what you're getting into you can go right to do where it's at and do it and you can then sell your treasure and log off and i mean you still might get chased by a player or attacked by a crack and all of the kind of random encounters that might happen um but I mean, you'll, you always have that, you know, that kind of chance of that happening. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm right there with you. I think it's, I think it's really cool how they've introduced uh, a system into the game that bucks against the, the normal tradition of how do you get off the outpost? Well, you have to go find one of the merchants and you have to go get a voyage and then you have to vote on the voyage. Um, there's a lot more agency now with these shrines and these treasuries on how do you go and get a a relatively decent amount of loot in a short amount of time which is why i i kind of question um you know if this isn't the better way to go about creating content for sea of thieves i love the idea of crafting narrative into voyages um and and i think the gold vaults uh, i think the the uh, ghost ship voyages and i think that the um lost merchant voyages are are exemplary of that style of of crafting lore and narrative into what you're doing as opposed to here's uh an x marks the spot on an island go dig it up you don't know who it belonged to you may know who it belonged to but the names themselves don't impact you the same way it's like okay well we had a ship out there it got sunk we still need that manifest because it's important to our trade route uh system and we need you to go out and get this if you don't mind and hiring a mercenary to go out and do that uh in in lieu of having more merchant ships go out is is a narrative it's a, it's a design that i really appreciate and with the the shrines uh while there's nothing that drives you to them um they have a natural allure when you do happen to come across that swirling color that kind of floats above the water uh, that that wants to beckon people over to come investigate it and it's that kind of emergent desire to, to try and go and figure out what these are that i think is is exactly what rare tries to do with the world events that everyone is kind of at the point now where i think we're we're trying to come up with ideas to bring content to the game that isn't in the form of a world event because I think that everyone's kind of gotten a little too comfortable with the world events. I think we're looking for something more unique than how does Rare communicate the next event in Sea of Thieves without using a weird shaped thing of clouds in the sky. Yeah. Speaking of, <laughs> we're, we're getting into the Fury of the Damned event. Um, this is the, the newest event for season four. Uh, now that we've gotten a taste of the shrines and we've gotten through all the the, the different things that those offer us, uh, we're getting into the the holiday season with Sea of Thieves. This is always a big event for everyone because it kind of kicks off when we're going to get some really cool, unique cosmetics uh, with, with this. And um, I wanted to jump in and talk a little bit about... Um, the Fury of the Damned event, because now that it's live, I wanted to see if you guys had played much of it or if you've been 
kind of holding off because we we found out that this was going to kick off uh on august i believe it's 7th and there were going to be community uh rewards that were going to give you different types of figureheads there's a a, a dark spider wicked web uh figurehead and a, 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 a i guess a, a white one i'm trying to think of getting a bit more elaborate yeah and, and the collector's edition one yeah thank you that's what i was hunting for the collector's edition of the figurehead uh i wanted to ask right off the bat have you guys taken part for the the fury the damned event so far i haven't uh i I play every week on sundays and so i will be playing it tomorrow morning um but i also purposely kind of like i would have got in on my own earlier but i have been kind of putting it off because they uh the community side of the event is not active uh because i i guess they ran into some technical issues and so now it says that it's actually going to start on monday um yeah so that side of it yeah yeah. the main event is still kind of going on but that community side they're still hoping to get out on ready for monday (laughs) hope so anyway so um yeah i've personally not played it yet um just lack of time really i want to get into it i really like the rewards of it um and yeah, I want to do the community event. I think that is something I've been looking for in Sea of Thieves for the events. I want those sort of big all-player driven challenges. I think that's a really good way to actually get people to actively want to alliance and to try and help out other people and not necessarily just be antagonistic. But yeah, I haven't started the event properly yet. I've I've gotten a chance to do a little bit of it, um, but I, I didn't get a chance to dive in as, as much as I did because I know that we're going to be having this at least until November 4th. Uh, but this is this event is kind of familiar with most folks. If you've gone out and done some of the build rat events in the past, you earn favors by doing certain things. Uh, different weeks offer different uh, uh, multipliers for different tasks. So this one, I believe, is the uh, uh, Flames of Fate week, where and I'm and I'm actually going to be pulling this information off of the Golden Sands blog post because you guys did such a nice write up of it uh, that we're going to be able to earn double the favors this week uh, if you are using flames against skeletons and ghosts and such. Um, and then we've got the the ships of the damned as well as the armies of the damned um, where you're either going to be fighting skeleton or, or ghost ships uh, on the seas to earn favor or you're going to be uh, defeating um, skeleton lords uh, stronghold skulls that are turned in skeleton captains ashen lords things of that nature uh, to also earn rewards but to be able to earn the different cosmetics that are going to be available which is part of the wicked website which is interesting to me that they're releasing this kind of piecemeal throughout the season uh, I'm, I'm curious when we're going to be getting the rest of these sets uh, but to earn the first three items which is the wicked web tankard the wicked web blunderbuss and the wicked web cannons uh, you have to earn an increment of 500 1000 and 200 favors um, it's a lot of killing out there to be able to to earn these, but I, I recommend, you know, taking a look at what's available for the multiplier and uh, trying to focus on those so you can try and earn these as quickly as possible. And to, to Dre and Jeff's uh, comments, we were planning on having the community event that was supposed to kick off at the same time. For whatever reason, the tracking for that wasn't working. And they've uh, been pushing it back. Dre, uh, you mentioned that this was going to be something that they're hoping to get out on uh, Monday. So hopefully that will. But to earn the standard Wicked Web figurehead, you have to have uh, five or 50 million skeletons killed during this event as a community. 
And then to earn the collector's uh, Wicked Web figurehead, you have to have, or the community has to kill at least 150 million skeletons during the event. Um, I, I'm kind of interested, Jay, or excuse me, I'm combining your guys' names now. Uh, <laughs> Dre, how do you feel about them kind of uh, chomping up the set and and putting it throughout the season pass as well as uh, the event and and not really giving us a clear idea on when we're getting, getting the rest of it? What stuff were you missing for the set? Is it just sort of like ship pieces and stuff? Well, they, they, the whole clothing set is in the season track. Yeah. Yes. And then there's just like a figurehead, cannons, a tankard, and a blunderbuss. Something else, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, so, that's curious, I suppose. It's a nice way to make it so that the events feel like they're part of the season, perhaps, uh, if they're all thematically linked. So mm -hmm. I'm, I haven't got any problem with that. It makes it a little bit more interesting than it just being something that's pieces of a different set that hasn't got anything to do with, I don't know, the season or the event itself. Because these are a little bit more Halloween-y, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, last year's one was the Soul Flame stuff, so that's quite hard to follow up on but <laughs> and i think that's available events, now too yeah. right like I, I, mm, soul flame stuff yeah i think yeah. that's through commendations yeah, that, now yeah i got um i think not that long after the event from last year that all got put into the pirate legend hideout stuff or it might have been at the start of season one that it got put in there but yes, yeah still behind commendations it has you uh doing the fort of the damned i think if mm -hmm. you want the costume at least 25 times it's 25 times to get the costume set, which... Uh, and then it's like 3 million to buy it. Yeah, Ooh. which I think is great. I think that it's like if mm. you're here on time, you can participate in an event and get this stuff, and that's like the, the easy way to do it. Um, but if you missed out on that event, you still can get it. Uh, and you have to do an, a commendation that is kind of thematically tied to it. So, you know, oh, you weren't here for the Halloween event? Well, you can unlock that stuff if you do the Ford of the Damned. Um, so so, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. And um, this stuff will probably be the same. They will they will put it in the shops once this event is over and you'll be yeah. able to and, unlock it some way. And I kind of feel like the other events that come up uh, during the season might finish off the rest of the set or they might just give us the rest of the set in other ways. So I'm hopeful that at the end of the season, we'll get the full ship set. Yeah, that that's kind mm. of the, the question in my mind is, is if this is the event for the Halloween and the Wicked Web set is tied to that due to the kind of theme that they're going with, uh, especially with season four cosmetics uh, through the, the Plunder Pass, I, I would love to see what the cutlass looks like. I really want to see what the hull and the cannons look like, uh, as well as the wheel, because I can already imagine uh, the way oh, that the, the wheel, yeah. yeah, the wheel for the, the, the ship set. Oh, wow. Probably going to have a really cool kind of spider just, you know, splayed out all as the actual. I would, I don't think this will happen, but I would love it if they could use most of the spider's legs as the actual spokes or, or posts on the actual yeah, wheel. Yeah, that'd be amazing. That'd be well cool. So I, I, that's kind of in in the back of my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this event, but I'm also very curious what, the rest of these cosmetics are going to look like and how we're going to uh, acquire them. So um, I, I love this, that they do these build rat adventures um, this way. I think this way is a lot more natural than uh, having to go out and look for specific tasks. I think things like when we were going out and delivering uh, storage or not storage crates, the um, crates. Rag and bone. Rag and bone. Yeah, I kept wanting to call them storage yeah. crates. Um, <laughs> the rag and bone crates, I think, was uh, painful. Um, the relics, less so much. But going out and doing one specific task, 
to to try and complete these, especially if it's something like having people turn in gifts. Um, I have yeah, a. I, I think was the most painful of all, all, all yeah, of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I have a. <laughs> I have a I have a picture queued up ready for when the the holiday season comes in for Christmas and and uh, us having to worry about gifts and what a pain that was to just lay them out on a table for people to turn into Wanda uh, or quote unquote the mass stranger back then. But uh, I, I would much rather have things where it's more of an immersive nature to Sea of Thieves. I think that is what Sea of Thieves strength is, is, is giving you things to do that are in the same vein of what you would normally do, but a little more focused and not just dead set, go out and do these one thing specifically. Yeah, like if you're on a normal gold holder voyage or just exploring the islands this one gives you a little bit more reason just to kill those skellies if you want to whereas before you might have just tried to avoid them but now you're like oh yeah getting rid of these is going to add to that overall score yeah yeah and i like yeah i I'd much rather I, have that i really like the format when they give you a bunch of ways you can earn favor and then they just say earn it earn enough favor in any of these ways you want so you know one of the ways you could earn favor is to do an ashen lord battle uh, but if you don't like doing ash and lord battles you don't have to do it at all it, it's not like a checklist of do this task and do this task and do this task and if you complete all 10 tasks you get a, a prize instead it's just like no you don't have to do the ash and lord battle you could do the uh ghost ship battle and uh you could do that 10 times if you want and, and earn Rena uh, uh, favor on each time um so i like that and then i like the them giving the bonuses so they don't lock it out like each week like this week these are the only ways to earn favor and then this week these are the only ways to earn favor you can earn all of the kinds of favor every week but this week there's a bonus if you do this style and then this week there's a bonus if you do these things so you can still ignore that bonus and you can kind of play however you want um and it doesn't pigeonhole you into doing a specific task like this week you have to do the forward of the damned uh it, it doesn't feel like that and then they also put in another bonus for a lot of them if you're in an alliance uh which is just a nice little incentive um get some alliances going and, and get some more intrigue i mean alliances add a whole lot to the game in my opinion because um forcing players to interact not not forcing them but encouraging them to interact always creates the best stories even if you end up betraying each other um or if you don't end up betraying each other and you end up just being friendly like those are the kinds of things that turn into stories um and if there was no alliances then every interaction would be like i'm either gonna sink you or i'm gonna run away or or i'm gonna avoid you and there'd be no story to tell you know yeah. so i i do enjoy those bonuses that they've put into it it's a it's a long stretch from where we came from where the first opportunity for us to really engage with this was how Having to find someone before alliances were a thing, convincing them to meet you down at one island where you then both had to take a song to a specific location and engage with the event that way. Uh, the tools that have been put into the game currently facilitate that exact same style of gameplay in such a smoother aspect where it's it's still rewarding and it still offers an interesting opportunity. I remember when the uh, when when we first got the hungering one there were a couple of times where we had gone out and we had fought the shark and as soon as we fought the shark we immediately got sunk by the other crew uh or at least attacked by the uh, another crew that was either nearby or the ones that we were with uh because they just wanted to be that type of crew and it was really fun it was really really fun to still know that regardless of the situation that we're in 
we're still all working towards the same thing and we got the rewards and as soon as we got the rewards it turned into a, a, a huge battle and it was you know them versus us at that point a lot of that can still happen now but at least with the tools that we have um you're not penalized uh by by having someone try and mess you up during the, during these type of events these events you can achieve with people or without people uh if you do it with people there's a chance for for betrayal and and i just i, I love that opportunity because it it gives it gives players the tools but doesn't tell them how to use those tools um it just tells them that there are incentives to doing it the the way that it suggests but it could very much be a bait and switch and i and i love that opportunity because that's kind of what sea of thieves is is you're constantly pushing and pulling against what people's intents are going to be and that that's such a pirate thing to me definitely we did get a fair amount of information this season um that i wanted to bring you guys on for specifically in the the form of shrines uh, we've gotten a ton of lore that's been explained. Most of this is building off the back of a pirate's life, uh, with the two tall tales that we got regarding the, the sunken pearl and, um, oh my gosh, I'm just blanking on the tall tale four. What was tall tale four? Dark, the, dark brethren. Dark brethren. That's right. Cause yeah. someone was there. Um, so the dark brethren <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, 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 promise i wasn't trying to be cheeky about that i genuinely forgot um those two tall tales introduced uh sirens into the game and we had sirens kind of emergent but if we finally got the backstory as to all of these cave paintings and wall paintings that have been up and around the world forever ever since the game came out we've seen merfolk but we've seen uh, bad merfolk and we always just kind of referred to them as the the bad merfolk uh, but we never understood the the story behind them. We finally had the the bit of story revealed about them uh, when Tall Tales came in and they had been reawakened, uh, if I think if that's the right way of saying it. And as a result, uh, we've subsequently had to deal with that in the Sea of Thieves probably forever at this point. I don't think there's ever going to be a, a way to put them back to sleep, even though that was one of the things that actually happened. But uh in this season, we now have these shrines, and each shrine, each of the six that are out there, uh, have journals in them, each written by a unique person in Sea of Thieves from their perspective. Um, and, and it's been really surprising to have them discover these shrines. And I, right off the bat, I wanted to ask you guys, because I, I feel like some of the this is answered in the Tall Tales, or not the Tall Tales, but the, the journals. Um, do you think all of these shrines were at one point in time above the water? Let's start with you, Dre, if you don't mind jumping in. I think, I'm, I think most of them were, not necessarily all of them. There's a few that feel like they would have always have been underwater. Um, Shrine of Hungering and Shrine of the Coral Tomb. I think those ones were probably always underwater. Mm -hmm. um, but there are other ones, the ones that are much more ancient in architecture. Those were definitely above the waves at some point. Okay, that's kind of where I'm leaning because I'm, I'm with you. I feel like the Shrine of the Flooded Embrace was probably something that was always underwater. But definitely... Well, exactly. that's the shipwrecks isn't it yes. actually i was gonna that say one, I think that one was weird. above water oh really um, yeah there's some weirdness about that one the reason i think that is they kind of describe a, a great ship battle where ships were like crashing into the um into the into shrine sort of structure and, and, yeah and attacking the sirens and so there's so many shipwrecks in that that apparently were like purposely crashed into it and i kind of think it wouldn't make sense if it was like underwater um mm. 
but yeah there are some that definitely seem like they had to have been above water there was the one with the ancients that is like it says this one used to be at water level and now it's sunk beneath the waves yeah. um yeah. yeah ancient is that's uh so let's let's kick off with uh the shrine of ancient tears um these journals were the the five that are written in there are all done by umbra uh which i, I love how umbra has developed as a character for sea of thieves because it was such a it felt like such a one-off when they first came out with the golden banana quest back when the game launched mm-hmm. um and to have that live action person with all the the tattoos on her uh kind of wandering the beaches um who knows where that I, you guys probably know where it actually was i have no clue where it actually was other than it was i'm pretty sure filmed in england uh yeah but this this mm. one is really interesting because this one to me uh speaks to the thing that really kind of has been in in the question in my mind of of what is up with the <laughs> what is up with the silver blade because it was brought in with tall tale 2 and it had a new captain after it had been reconstructed by the merfolk and the new the new captain found it without understanding the the history of the ship um to kind of start off how did you guys feel about the silver blade being brought into the game in the way that it did jeff no uh, yeah, uh, I didn't mind it. I, uh, for me, um, so it, it's curious to wonder like what plans they may have had or might still have for Flameheart Jr. himself. Um, but uh, I think what a lot of people forget is that even after Flameheart Jr. turns into a skeleton, the Silver Blade continues its journey without him. Uh, because I think uh, doesn't Bell and Nine Cat Nura. Uh, take it or no yeah. no that's not right they, they, the um shipwreck of it is off of an unknown they island the, they take yeah. the cursed chest out of it that's yeah, right Never do, yeah. but no for me when they put the silver blade in the tall tale it was just purely uh fan service it was an easter egg um i i didn't personally expect that the silver blade deserved or needed more than that it was like this is a ship's really? name that you'll recognize and and we know that you'll recognize this so we'll put it in there and you'll say, oh, that's so cool. They're referencing that thing from the past lore. And it's such an obscure, uh, you know, reference only from that one book that most people didn't read. So um, I thought it was fan pleasing. And then I was kind of surprised to find out a lot of people were upset because they thought that the Silver Blade was this big, important thing that was going to have a big role in the story. And I never really thought it would. Um, really? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I thought Flameheart Jr. will have a role in the story. Yeah. I didn't necessarily think that his ship was that important. That's so unique to me because I've always tied captains to their ship. You've got the Pirate Lord with the Magpie's wing and uh, you've got Flameheart with the um, Ashen Dragon. Is it the Ashen Dragon? A burning Blade. Burning Blade. Yeah. Um, and you've got, you know, Riggsy always seems to be the one that that always kind of got rid of her ship and just found something else or, or hopped onto a crew. Uh, but every, you know, even um, uh, Eli Slate had uh, his ship. Morningstar, um, yeah. The Morningstar. So to me, a, a ship had a name, which is, is the thing that everyone's been asking for is a way to name your ship uh, because each captain was so closely tied to their ship. Uh, so when they brought in the silver blade, it felt like um, it, it felt like kind of a misrepresentation of the of the lore that had been written prior to it. We knew that Flameheart Jr. was intrinsically tied to the silver blade. The silver blade uh, was was it was interesting to find out that that was uh, that a replica of the silver blade was being used for cosmetics for the insiders. Um, so when I thought when the silver blade was coming to Sea of Thieves, I was like, 
well, they're they're finally going to tease out the thing that Mike has said forever ago about uh, how Flameheart Jr. may actually be in the game already, and we just don't know it. To me, which is it's so bizarre because at that point, like, why would you bring in the Silver Blade if if not to queue up this story about Flameheart Jr. and why he's so integral to to hopefully the future why it's so interesting to tie like you're, you're bringing in the captain and you're in you're bringing in this character but you're not bringing in all of the characters from athena's fortune and or not athena's fortune a tale from sea of thieves uh book and you know i can understand why you haven't brought in uh nine cats and diving bell because they're kind of a pair they're a couple and you want to kind of give them a moment to themselves but to bring in part of the silver blade but not ad- address flameheart jr in any way even mention him seemed really odd and, and out to me Ahoy there, Pirates. This is the ad for this episode, and I did want to let you know if you wanted to avoid these and just get a regular filler, you can head over to the Patreon. There's a special feed just for patrons that get the ad-free version. If you want to keep listening, though, I can't say I blame you because this week I want to let you know about Loot Crate and getting 15% off of most crates and crate subscriptions when you use the link and code ROBOTSRADIO in the show notes. Also, you can head over to audiobooks.com, get your first three audiobooks for free, and that can include any two vip books or use the affiliate link for green man gaming if you're a pc gamer you'd like to save money on games it's one of the benefit of being a pc gamer head over to green man gaming you can get codes for steam epic any of the different stores that they have deals going on they have deals going on all the time and if you plan on buying there please consider using our affiliate link all of that goes straight to me through the network thank you all so much for everything that you do to support this podcast it means the world to me and i continue to try and improve the quality and the content for you with that pirates let's get back to the show dre how did you feel about it i mean personally i quite liked the inclusion of the silver blade i think it's more of a nod that that is still part of their plans and that we probably will see and hear more about flameheart jr in the future but not quite yet i think tying it up into a pirate's life may have been a a bad way to try and bring in that kind of law i don't i'm not quite sure you don't want to really tie in that old law and their old plans with sort of the new parts of the caribbean stuff necessarily because it might diminish the value of that um but i don't know i quite liked it it's like rather than it just being a nondescript ship or just a new ship that they just attached to a different kind of character mm-hmm. having it have the history of what you know about it in tales of and then what captain dimitri does with it and then how it ends up in the um siren citadel it's kind of interesting and it's just nice if you know what the silver blade is that it's just a sort of like oh yeah i kind of know about this ship and if not then maybe you'll be more interested to then go and find out some more or further down the line when you learn a little bit more about its original captain you'll then look back at that and go ah this ship has had quite a long history to it you know because if, if I- if I might add, I, I want to point out uh, that uh, I don't think that, you know, some people ha- are disappointed in the way they did it. And they think that that they kind of just carelessly threw the silver blade in here in this such a diminished role as this kind of set piece uh, and that that it was carelessly done. Uh, and I don't think that's the case at all. Um, and I don't think this is just a very throwaway like they did the silver blade dirty. 
I think it has a very strong thematic connection to the story they're trying to tell. Yeah. Because they're they're showing the story of the of the Black Pearl, which is the most famous pirate ship maybe ever, uh, at least in in, in our fandom in, in in pirate fandom of of today. Um, the Black Pearl is being taken in by the sirens. And then the Silver Blade is like the Black Pearl of the Sea of Thieves. It's it's got a similar figurehead. It's got a similar you know amount of fame to it and notoriety to it. Um, and so what they're doing with that in the story is they're showing this is what could happen to the Black Pearl. Look at what has happened to the Silver Blade, this prominent, famous ship. Um, and this is the the severity of the situation. This is a big deal that the Black Pearl is being dragged in to suffer the same fate if we don't stop these Siren Queen. Um, and I think that drawing that parallel to the Silver Blade and the Black Pearl, it doesn't diminish the Silver Blade. It, it shows how important the Silver Blade is. Um, sometimes the the important thing you love has to die for the story to 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 hit a, a high emotional high. And uh, you know, it doesn't mean that the Silver Blade wasn't important or that they didn't care about it. Um, for them to put it into a bad fate that you didn't expect. Uh, it actually raises the stakes of the story because you're like, oh, we don't want the Black Pearl to suffer this fate. And like, this is the fate that all of these merchant ships have, have suffered since they started going missing because the sirens are now a scourge on the seas. Um, I think it lends a lot of weight to that tall tale. I'll, I'll be honest. The, the thing for me was and and I want to I want to clarify a little bit because I I'm I'm coming around on your on your approach to this because originally for me it wasn't necessarily that I felt that the silver blade was um kind of a, a throwaway uh that they weren't adding any kind of um prestige to to its introduction into the game itself compared to it just being from the books uh but I always had more grand ideas of of like the entrance of of Flameheart Jr and and what that would be and maybe that's because right now he doesn't have a ship maybe it's because his ship is no longer the silver blade that was uh for for Captain Flameheart not Captain Flameheart or Flameheart Jr uh in that aspect and what you're the way you're approaching tall tale too as far as uh the 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 devastation that happens to the silver blade and the inevitability of the black pearl really does speak to something that i i didn't pick up on from tall tale 2 um i understood the the importance of getting the black pearl back um and and the fate of its crew uh for the sake of of uh you know having a ship for jack sparrow but I, I never considered that the the weight of the sirens impact on Sea of Thieves if they aren't stopped. Uh, and and I, I have some questions about that. With the shrines, we've gotten a bunch of lore and, and we're going to I want to make sure that we cover the broad strokes of it, because I don't know that we'll have an, a, the ability to really uh, kind of dig into each journal and break those down. But overall, starting with the the silver blade, Umbro was able to to find this in, in Dimitri. Um, how did you guys feel about the the Umbra shrine uh, or, or the Umbra journals and her kind of finding this? mysterious shrine and realizing that dimitri was the one and his crew was the one to uh find this this chest of everlasting sorrow we kind of knew about that from dimitri's journals in the sunken pearl uh, this one just gives another kind of aspect to kind of as to how long it's been um since they went missing sort of thing mm -hmm. because Umbra, I don't know exactly when this journal that Umbra wrote was um, well, written, 
there's no kind of like real set time scale of when any of these journals are i think they're all different times different time periods um so umbra's one's probably kind of recent so to say that the silver blade was going around doing stuff and then went missing for a couple of months kind of suggests that yeah the sirens have been awoken for quite some time ever since like the lost shipment stuff lost yeah it's lost shipments isn't it mm-hmm. yeah so i think that's an interesting aspect to it um i quite like that she's got more stuff to say and that she's still exploring the sea of thieves um there's also just the general joy of her going around exploring new places and finding new information and new stories but yeah to, to get that kind of solid confirmation about where the chest of everlasting sorrow came from what's in the chest of everlasting sorrow and just Dimitri and his crew's sort of encounter with that is quite interesting. So I want to go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say, yeah, I think that the the Silver Blade becomes a shrine to the Chest of Everlasting Sorrow, which is essentially like the most revered object by all of the Sirens, because the Siren Queen loved the Siren King or the 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 Sea King or the the warrior, whatever the the guy who turns into a, a merfolk, and he loved him so much. Like this is like their most revered object. And and it's such a tragic story. So the fact that the Silver Blade becomes the shrine to this item actually makes the Silver Blade even more important. It's like it had this importance because of Flameheart Jr., but now it has this importance as being like a literal like holy place to all Siren kind. Um, and, and so when we step on there and fight the Kraken, which they also revere and worship we're basically committing like grand sacrilege against the sirens like like this is the most uh you know insane thing we could do to sirens obviously we're doing it to to defend ourselves yeah we we put our dirty pirate hands on the chest and then we also just scar the kraken (laughs) and then we sell the chest for like a couple thousand gold yeah (laughs) the irony being is that if the gold hoarders are still ferrying gold to the gold hoarder himself wouldn't it go right back to the gold hoarder or do you think do you guys think that we're not giving gold to the gold hoarder anymore i don't know where any of that's going anymore it's hard to say yeah the vaults they were kind of with the vault voyages they were kind of saying like oh ever since the gold hoarder died we're not going to tribute peak anymore we've been throwing our gold in these vaults and so I'm, I'm curious kind of uh how much they're still working for the gold hoarder yeah yeah makes me wonder if someone else uh maybe humphrey becomes the new head of the gold hoarders and oh like he is definitely yeah. high up in like the brotherhood mm-hmm. it, it does actually come into the lore this season because the legend of the sunken kingdom voyage is uh yeah. it starts off with the gold hoarders you get a note from humphrey and the note is talking to a scholar and the and humphrey says to this you know he says the bot it's like this is the boss's orders but they don't say who the boss is mm-hmm. so maybe they are referring to the gold hoarder and um they are the scholar is hiding these keys and hiding this forbidden chest so that people can't get into the ancient tomb that contains the the ancient warrior that's at the end of that voyage obviously these are big spoilers if you haven't done the voyage yet i hope you have Um, (laughs) but yeah it's all it's all tied into the gold hoarders and i find it really interesting i think that the gold hoarder himself must have been brought back to life by the sirens because he seems to have some manner of coral curse that is he's coral on his body and he summons ocean crawlers instead of skeletons when you fight him yep that is that is exactly what I've been thinking about lately is is that I I think it's interesting that we are taking the curse of Everla or the the chest of everlasting sorrow 
to the gold hoarders who, as far as I can see, is still working for the gold hoarder, um, even if he's brought back in this, uh, you know, in because of the the yeah. sirens. Uh, he's part of the brotherhood. He's he's all coiled up, like he said, and I think that's very very spot on with how I've been coming across it. Um, let's let's I, I want to kind of uh, uh, break this down by by history, um, starting with the ancients and uh, the warrior who has been the one. So maybe this is maybe I'm, I'm jumping ahead too far, but uh, the ancients had a warrior and uh, the warrior fell in love with this myrrh queen for the for the time. Yeah, being. it is the sea queen that's like referenced elsewhere. Yeah. So yeah. with that, their love uh, was was kind of forbidden. And um, she wanted to be with him. He wanted to be with her. And we found out some really interesting stuff about the actual mermaid and siren gems. Um, Dre, do you want to jump into a little bit about that history? Are you comfortable with that? Yeah, I think so. Um... So break down I mean, what the mer gems are and what we kind of re what were what was kind of revealed uh, through this these journals. So it's mostly for like Duke's journals, if I remember rightly. He's yep. the one who kind of talks about them, which is kind of funny, given <laughs> that he's the one who started getting us to smash those statues. Um, yeah, so we kind of like learn a little bit that the so it's kind of hmm, I'm thinking where to start with it because you kind of like got to think about the whispering plague. Let's um, let's start with um, kind of the the design of the mermaid gems and what's in them. We kind of found out that they uh, have a magic to them. They um, have a magic. But I'm not sure if it's necessarily from the myrrh themselves or if it's something that the ancients imbued with, or if so it is their own myrrh magic. But the mermaid stones are. Are, well, my gems are a source, well, a point of magic for the the myrrh that they can do stuff with. Um, in particular, it's given that these mermaid gems were used by the then Siren Queen, uh, so the sea, king, sea Queen became the Siren Queen, and then as kind of a revenge for everything that happened to her her people and the Sea King. She takes the mermaid gems and starts trapping ancients into them and using their power to twist their forms and create the ocean crawlers so that she can fight against the ancients on the lands. And as those are being warped and turned into ocean crawlers, that also warps and changes the mermaid gems into the siren gems. At least that's what I understand of it. That's, what, that's the same kind of understanding you had. The one thing that I would I would ask and see if you guys are, agree with is uh, during that process, we've we've kind of learned that the ancients' souls that are now in these gems uh, first turn into those mermaid statues. Um, and and I'm very curious because if if the mermaid statues are kind of the the cocoon for these ocean crawlers, um, if that is accurate in, in my train of thought, then it seems really interesting to me, at least, that our initial task from Duke was to go out and destroy these. And I and I don't think at the time he realized what he was doing, because I think that us destroying the statues was actually prolonging the eventual return of the ocean crawlers and the sirens. Am, am I crazy for thinking that? No, I think that's that's right. I think so. The way I look at it is that the cocoon that is a mermaid statue and, and the magic of a mermaid gem is essentially just their magic for how they do any kind of transformation. Uh, we know that they use the magic to turn the warrior into a merfolk. 
Yeah. So it doesn't just turn people into ocean crawlers. It could also turn people into merfolk. But doing that actually creates sirens. It creates the whispering plague. Um, and so, yeah, I think these these statues have been around for all this time. And they turn out to be uh, they're, they're people, humans, that are either being turned into sirens or they're being turned into ocean crawlers. And then you might think that's kind of dark. Like if I smash the statue, am I just killing some innocent person? But actually, I've rationalized it to be a good thing because if you kill it then you you kill some innocent person and then they can go to the fairy of the damned and they can respawn as a human and they don't have to transform into an ocean car but if you don't kill a merfolk statue then that person will turn into a siren or an ocean crawler um you and then yeah so that that it's actually a good service to be destroying these things. So I, <laughs> I agree with I agree with you to an extent. Um, where I where I have a a, a split with your with your um, thought process here is the thing that I've noticed is um, souls are are there's a spell that is being used to trap these souls into these gems and uh, because of what was um, discovered by the ancients and and kind of used by the ancients that knowledge was passed on somehow the order of souls figured it out and they were able to imbue some of that that spell into the sword of or the champion of souls sword and given to uh, uh pendragon and pendragon and subsequently gray morrow and uh i believe stitcher no gray morrow for sure uh, has they've learned how to not only trap souls but extract souls. So I agree with you that that removing the the gems from the statues is a is a positive thing because you're not you're essentially keeping sirens from being born or ocean crawlers from being born. I think those gems are still just these these little prisons for these souls, and unless you have a way to extract the soul, that soul can't then go on to the the sea of the damned where they can either uh, be sent to the ferry to either return as pirates or pass on into their own memory in the Sea of the Damned. Um, and I'm kind of concerned about all these gemstones that are just being turned in where we're, we're yeah. literally trading souls for gold. Which is a weird thing to think about now that I think about it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, that may, that, that you, you do bring a good point. And that um, may be the case. I, I think we can say for sure that we stopped the transformation, though, at least. Yes. Um, because if a transformation had taken place, then the mermaid gem would have turned into a siren gem, which is what's, what drops when you kill a siren or when you kill an ocean crawler. Because they... Uh, I, I, I view it like like a, a mermaid gem is almost like a battery or, or like... Um, like a radioactive chemical that they're using to power a process. And then once the process is done, it has now degraded and it has become a different radioactive chemical. Like it's, it is transformed into a different element. So you transform the gem down into the mermaid gem has become a siren gem. The process of using its fuel has transformed it into this other thing. Um, so that's kind of what the siren gems are, which is an interesting bit of, yeah. of uh, new new lore for that science is My science is just magic we understand right right yeah basically yeah i i'm very curious because um you bring up a, a couple interesting things in in one of my questions uh with without getting too sidetracked is do siren gem or siren souls go to the sea of the damned when they die what happens to their souls it comes to the souls of anything else i suppose on the sea of thebes i think 
death is very strange on the Sea of Thieves. It isn't you're gone and you're gone for good. You can come back. So perhaps it is the same for Sirens. Maybe they do go to the Sea of the Damned and can come back in their own way. I mean, we have we have merfolk in the Sea of the Damned. Are, yeah. Are they yeah, actual merfolk souls? I'm very or, confused or, about this. Or are they just the memories of merfolk that are being manifested through our subconscious? Because the Sea of the Damned is confusing. True. <laughs> it's very confusing. That is, yeah. I I would love to have you guys on for a, a whole episode where we dig into the lore about the the Sea of the Damned because that is a, a cacophony <laughs> of really big thing about the Sea of the Damned. I'm really curious about. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of questions uh about that. But okay, so um we we know that the that the Sea Queen turned into the Siren Queen because of uh the magic that she tampered with when she was using the uh, mermaid gems and the power that that is their soul their life their song uh to transform the the warrior from the ancients uh into the sea king or the siren king um and they were in love for a while and this caused a huge rift between uh the merfolk and the ancients uh and the siren and the merfolk themselves actually split into two sects so we go ahead, Jeff or Dre. Sorry, I was gonna say it's less a split between the merfolk and the ancients. It's more that it potentially went well to start with because you do have sea queen and sea king. So it kind of implies it did happen, and then it was a gradual loss of their song, yeah. and then they got exiled, which is then what caused like the split between the sirens and the merfolk. The merfolk probably still worked with the ancients, and the sirens themselves probably hated them for that because well, I believe we do the know them away or exiled them. We do know that the merfolk and the ancients worked to bo- to bind uh, the old mother, yeah. and that that happened that happened after the sirens already split off because yeah. when it happened, it pissed off the sirens. Yes, um, because the sirens began to kind of worship the kraken, and then. That's something I really like about the siren lore is just little things like how the sirens and the merfolk are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Sirens worship the kraken. The merfolk feared the kraken and wanted to bound it. Uh, Sirens will drag your ship down to the depths and sink it. But the merfolk are the ones that will restore your ship when it does sink and bring it back to you. Um, So this is like this perfect opposite ends of of who they are. Um, I like how balanced that is. We're seeing a little bit with that in pirates currently too. Uh, right now we have the pirate lords uh, in the pirate legends who are out there, you know, building alliances, having adventures, creating stories, things like that. And we have the the Wanda sect, which is now the the Reapers Bones faction that are trying to deny gold from Flameheart, trying to deny victory from Flameheart. Uh, trying to promote um, murder and, and death in the Sea of Thieves. Uh, and, and now we have these two kind of stories um, where it's, you know, the Siren King had the Siren, or the Siren Queen had the Siren King, and his death was the, the result of a war between the Sirens and the Merfolk paired with the Ancients. Uh, and now we have the uh, Flameheart who um, uh, uh, discarded uh, Wanda and her love for him. And now as a result, we have this rift between 
uh, us versus uh, Flameheart and the Reaper's Bones. It's a it's a weird triangle of combat that's kind of emerged in in both of these stories. Um, but I want to stick on point. I'm not going to get distracted. I wanted to. Uh, you you brought up a good thing. The journals that we found out talked a lot about how the ancients and the merfolk worked together to craft the chains uh, that would bind the old mother, the the mother of all krakens, uh, down in the depths till she eventually died. Um, and it wasn't until later in the Sea of Thieves that uh, Ramses and Mercia worked with the sirens to uh, to actually get these chains, so that then they could craft a whole different thing. Go into it um later on but uh we also found out that uh the the contents of these gems this this kind of nuclear power that you're talking about uh this radioactive power is something that is now in the breath of the sea or the listerine bottles the breath of the sea is really strange because it's not exactly clear what its origins are if it is something that is melted down mermaid gem or if it's a blend of some other kind of magic or what it really kind of does. Um, it seems to be like the concentrated essence of whatever the magic yeah. is that is in a mermaid gem. Whatever the magic is that the gem creates, a concentration of that magic is in the breath of the sea. Um, and that is how they were able to, the ancients were able to craft these breaths of the sea as like super weapon. Like this is super magic, way, way more concentrated than a gem. And uh, the the warrior at the end of the of the tomb, not the warrior that became the sea queen. This is okay. where it's it confusing. <laughs> okay, we, because there are two warriors. Let, yeah. let let's break this out. Um, because there's there's two there's two warriors that are talked about in the in the journals. One is a result of Lorena's uh, quest of the Legend of the Sunken Kingdom, where once you get get this uh, this uh, voyage from Lorinish, you'll go to the Gold Hoarder. Um, he'll give you uh, an, an enchanted compass. That enchanted compass will send you out to an island to dig up a coral chest uh, or a chest, and that chest has three locks, each resulting in a, a, a trip out to a different shrine where you get keys to unlock it. Once you get it, it unlocks a tablet that you then take to the Shrine of uh, Ancient Tears, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yep. Um, yep. And this... this this item that you stick in in one of the actual uh, kind of I, I can't think of what the word would be for the thing that you stick it into. Plim I don't know. It's like a table kind of plimp thing, isn't it? Yes, a was... ritual table. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it on it opens up a an area that has been um, kind of blocked off since the beginning of this season, where we didn't know how to get into it. Uh, and inside there is a tomb, very akin to Flameheart Junior. Uh, and this tomb has a skeleton on a similar plinth table, uh, if you will. And this skeleton is uh, covered in coral. And this skeleton is referred to as her and she. And she was a uh, considered the warrior that came uh, in the same way that I think of Neo as being the, the warrior that came for the Matrix. Um, this warrior was the one that if the Siren King was the start of the war uh, beneath the waves, then the warrior that we see in this uh, tomb is the warrior that ended it. She's the one that brought uh, the 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 sleeping or or the resting of the sirens. Am I? Am yeah, I? Forced them into the darkness yeah. somehow. 
Is that pretty pretty yeah, clear? That's how I think it is. It, I, I agree. I think they, essentially they use the breath of the sea, which is some kind of concentrated mermaid magic, and they must have done some kind of ritual or something with it. But they are able to put all of Siren kind to sleep. As a result, that warrior gets cursed with the curse of sunken sorrow, and is uh, that tomb becomes her resting place. And we're not supposed to get in there. Because what what happens in any movie when you enter a forbidden tomb, <laughs> y- you get cursed. So that's how we get the curse of Sunken Sorrow as players. I actually love that because it's kind of the first time that they've given us a curse where it feels like we actually got cursed by entering that room in, in a way that makes sense in a story. Instead of it just being like, you complete a commendation and you get a reward. Can I can I push back a little bit on that? Oh yeah, go for it. Uh, technically, you don't get the uh, you you don't get the curse uh, the gold curse unless you've beaten the gold hoarder and entered into his cursed chambers. Uh, and based on any fight that I've done with him, I've never not been knocked into a pile of gold. Uh, <laughs> So that's it, true, but you have to do it five times. So I guess <laughs> I guess the logic there is that the first four times you did it, you did you just got lucky and didn't touch any curse gold. <laughs> but the fifth time you do it, no, you definitely touched some curse gold this yeah. time. <laughs> that was that I, I I I hate to nitpick, but that was one of the the times where I because I had that same thought process that you came into. I was I was thinking about the same thing, and I was like, this really does feel like the most immersive curse that we've gotten, even though I hate it, and I'm in I'm the outlier on that. Uh, I, I do think it was the best way to bring in the curse. And I, I love uh, Rare's approach to um, doing tall tales or, or things like this. They've really, really kind of honed in on how do you reward players without dragging them through the same content over and over and over again to the point where most of them don't even want to do it because it's just such a, a hefty task. Um, but I, I, I don't want to get into too much of, of the, the nitty gritty about that. I had to bring that up though. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love that this tomb, uh, kind of brings about, uh, possibly a way to kind of quell some of the issues with the sirens right now, because like you mentioned, we have these breath of the, uh, these Listerine bottles and uh, for, first off the fact that they're uncorked scares the bejesus out of me. Um, and that you can take them underwater and the little, little smoke still comes out of them. It's weird. Um, but the fact that we, we open up the tomb, we have the curse of coral now, and we have these Listerine bottles. Uh, it is very strange to me that we wouldn't kind of go, go forward, take the next step in, in what's going to happen, like how we're going to deal, uh, with this. But at the same time, do you guys think that we've killed the Siren King Do you, or Siren Queen? Do you think that the Siren Queen is, is out of the picture now? I think she's still alive. Uh, like I said earlier, death is strange on the Sea of Thieves. So that, I think her rage isn't going to let her just go that easily. And me. within the breath of the sea, we might actually have an answer to um, her problems, perhaps. Also, I don't know if you were going to bring it up as well, but you mentioned earlier about Pendragon and his Sword of Souls. No, go for it. Well, like, we've got Pendragon now. She doesn't know of any way to bring back the Sea King from the Cursed Chest, but Pendragon may potentially with his Sword of Souls. It might be a more powerful kind of magic that may be imbued with whatever is in the Breath of the Sea. We might be able to at least put the sea, the Siren King to rest and help to ease the Siren Queen's sort of anger, rage, and sorrow. That's I, feel, really... I, feel, I feel that's where it's possibly going. Because you've also got like the parallel story with Yene, um, who had a love for a merfolk, uh, who then turned into a siren, 
and she's searching for some kind of way to cure him. I think the thing that she is looking for is implied to be the breath of the sea. So it might actually be the cure for them. Yeah. Maybe. I, or I, makes them worse. Who knows? I think I think you're spot on with that with that idea actually. And and I'm glad that you brought up your name because that was that it's something that has kind of brought been brought up because of the Dark Brethren tall tale that felt really kind of odd that that was a story that was being brought up uh amidst yeah. it was a strange place for it to be exactly which which makes me wonder if you know you're you're right about this is that there's there's a reason why it's brought in it's it's not it's a Chekhov's gun situation where you know we we know that that gun has to get fired at some point in this story uh we know that her story has to be important to some degree for them to even write it for them to even bring it into the world and into the lore so i'm I'm really kind of curious how this is going to play out um i did want to bring up one thing and i wanted to get uh, uh jeff if maybe you can talk to this um or speak to this on uh reaper's hideout before it got completely transformed there was a slow evolution uh, to that island and one of the islands the the far west one uh, had a weird plant or, or a weird dead tree on it and there was a a small wooden plank uh, in symbolizing a, a tombstone there and for the longest time we we don't know what it was um, the the flowers that were there were these white lilies uh, and these white lilies um, thanks to to the community we we found out that the lilies were in the constellation shape of the warrior um, we never understood who the warrior was or or why it was important do you think that the warrior and and dre this is open for you as well too but uh jeff i want to get your thoughts on this first do you think that the warrior is the woman that is the one that put to rest the siren uprising or do you think that was the warrior that eventually turned into the siren king or someone completely different um so i think that when we hear the lore of the character in the constellation i believe it's referring to the guy who becomes the siren king uh i i don't remember where i'm getting this from but i i feel like one of these journals might have described something that lined up with that constellation i'd have to go back and, and look at them all again um but I, I i felt like i came away with it like that warrior in the sky from the from the constellation and and the blurb of text that we get about him in in suds's uh you know journal on, on the stars of a thief tall tale uh it it lines up with the siren the guy who becomes a siren king okay uh, that being said i also think that any usage of that constellation like like because they use the symbols you know when you go to different vaults vaults of the ancients are using these symbols uh that are also matching kind of what are the constellations in the sky right so um you have the vault of uh the there's the scarab vault on crook crooked uh crook's hollow mm -hmm. there's the boar vault on devil's ridge etc um they use those same constellation shapes but i also think that those are just symbols that mean something more general in to the ancients so any usage of that symbol to the ancients generally means a warrior the the specific warrior in the sky is the specific warrior that that became the siren king but anytime they want to talk about a warrior they will use that symbol so the the one that is made out of lilies could be referring maybe to any warrior or or some other specific warrior it doesn't necessarily have to be the same warrior yeah that's just I how kinda, i'm yeah. i'm kind of making that up but this is kind of how <laughs> i'm reading it 
I'm just reading into it my own way, I guess. But yeah. I think there was multiple worries. Like, it feels like it was a title. Um, if there is to be an unmarked grave, though, perhaps, it might... Well, it does kind of feel like it makes sense to maybe be for the Sea King. We don't really know anything about the Uncharted Island before it becomes Reaper's Hideout. We know that it had a stone circle there as that was being unearthed whilst they were doing stuff. So it may have been an island that the Ancient used. Um, actually, now thinking about it, way back before it was Reaper's Hideout, it had one of those tables with a triangular hole in it, near it. So it's possible there was a place uh, of importance to the um, Ancients, and maybe it was a kind of a remembrance of what happened to that one. It could be a re remembrance of what happened to the um, female warrior as well. Right. Um, I, but in either case, in either case, it, it wouldn't be their literal resting place because yeah. we know that the bones, we, the bones of the Sea King, are in the Siren Citadel, and then we know yeah, that the bones the of the female warrior are in the Shrine of Ancient Tears. Yeah. So this could be, could be like a tribute. Well. Yeah. I, I I definitely think that there's there's two possibilities that it could just be a tribute piece to to that to that warrior as kind of like a remembrance. You know, there's a memorial set up for them. Um, I, I did some digging while you guys were talking and I wanted to bring this to your attention because I, I wanted to point out a couple things and see what you think if maybe this is just correlation or not. But uh, in the uh, uh, Stars of a Thief Tall Tale, the book has the constellations in it. The Great Warrior constellation, the blurb that it has for that says thirsts for war still lives on dot 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 question mark. So yeah, if that is true, if if the if this is something because because I've always had this theory that the Siren King was Flameheart, which I I don't know that 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 or that the or I think that the the Great Warrior of the Ancients was uh, Flameheart, the one that killed the Sea Siren King. Um, I don't have any proof for that. But my theory is, is that uh, he had a time because Dre, you brought this up. Death is strange in Sea of Thieves. And, and we and I genuinely don't know when Flameheart first entered the Sea of Thieves. Could have been well before uh, the before Ramsey came in. Um, mm -hmm. Could have been, uh, you know, during the time of the ancients. I, I genuinely don't know. He looks like a pirate, but then again, if you if you want to pull in vampires, vampires can look like anything because they live forever and they they take on the aesthetic of the times that they're living in because they don't want to look, you know, I mean, unless it's, uh, you know, a TV show that, that I'm not going to bring up, but they, they TV. yeah, <laughs> uh, they, they would look however they, however everyone else looks like, because they're not going to walk around looking like an ancient during a time when there's a bunch of pirates walking around. Um, so the great warrior thirsts for war still lives on. Uh, to me, it, it's kind of interesting because Wanda was in love with Flameheart. Wanda started to repurpose this island, which had um, ancients, uh, ancient stuff in it, and she created the Reaper's Bones, and there was a, a warrior uh, memorial set up on that island. At the same time, um, if this was the Siren King, uh, who was the warrior uh, for the ancients before they got together and they were married um, and he turned into the Siren King, uh, it would make sense that that island would be a, a tribute for him because of the, the uh, connection between Wanda working with the Dark Brethren, turning it into the Reaper's hideout, uncovering the tablets uh, in that circular ancient, understanding what happened um, 
to the bones maybe of of the the siren king finding them like because we know that there are rag and bone crates uh or, or reapers or reapers chests that are filled with bones we know that those were in the on, on that island at a time maybe wanda dug up the bones of the siren king um and gave them to the siren queen uh and returned them to her and as such she decided to make a memorial to the great warrior on that island to kind of help build the bonds which would then explain like why the siren uh queen would be so affable to uh wanda as well as uh davy jones and duke in in the gold hoarder but well, you know that actually queen really is affable to them sorry no, that, that brings up a point where you bring in Wanda. I never really thought of it like Wanda having any kind of interaction with her relationship with the Sirens, but it would make sense because of one thing. When Dimitri's crew takes over the Silver Blade, they go on a voyage and they find an ancient vault and they find the Chest of Everlasting Sorrow, which contains the soul of the Siren King, which the which the Siren Queen wants so badly. And as they go out, they, they eventually get taken into the sea by Sirens, scratching at their hull making them sink and then taken into the siren citadel um but what those journals also say is up to that point before they get sunk by sirens they're being relentlessly pursued by skeleton ships and the journals that were written by wanda in the dark brethren tale describe about how she is still commanding the armies of skeleton ships so um that would make sense that wanda is trying to get the chest of eternal sorrow she doesn't get it because the sirens end up getting it but was she, was she trying to get it to help the sirens or was she trying to get it to maybe have some leverage over the sirens and say look what i have we can work together if you do what i say or, or who knows what her plan was but it definitely seems like she might have been involved with that yeah the other thing i was going to mention is that the bones of the siren king are found with the chest as well mm. so right at that been... point they have they are they are in the possession of the sirens were yeah. they were they found together or were they found, they were found at the in same, the vault yeah same time mm. well they're we know that they're in there when we get there. We don't know how they got there. They were on um, the Silver Blade. So when Dimitri finds the oh, vault with the chest of everlasting sorrow, there's also got the bones of the um, Siren King is oh, in there as well. I, I guess I didn't remember that it mentioned the bones. No, they're in there. Um, okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I mean, it still is kind of a possibility that Wanda knows the history of the Sirens. She probably knows a lot more about the Sea of Thieves than most average people um there's also we the general hmm? we, we do know that she did dive the ocean to find this the wreck of the burning blade so maybe exactly, in her time yeah. searching for it she may have dove in and found siren uh and, well, you know, and, and the time between amazing. her being wanda and her coming back as the masked stranger so who knows what she, she could have discovered or found well, out you 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 just touched on something jeff that she did find the silver blade so if the skull if the skeleton or was the burning blade or the oh you're right it was the burning blade wasn't it shoot yep <laughs> dang it well uh, but i mean she uh, it was in the shores of plenty we don't know if she found it at that point she could have possibly found the silver blade i'm i'm scrubbing through the the journals from uh the second tall tales uh sunken pearl to see if there's any mention of bones and so far i haven't found anything so I, I know that they that they did find 
um they they did find because it says here uh let's see with tough luck bone brains keepers uh out here on the sea we lured them past one of their own forts and left a few gunpowder barrels bobbing that gave us a chance to get away but since they uh since then we've spotted two more skeleton ships both of which made a beeline for us can't be a coincidence whatever we've got on board the skellies clearly think it's valuable time to head out into open waters and work out what to do next i go ahead Okay, so there's something else I want to mention about, like, the skellies going after the silver blade in that situation. Mm -hmm. If you cast your mind back to Sea of Thieves' social media stuff that they were doing with the skeleton language, all of them all refer to the silver blade and what the silver blade potentially had on board of it. So there was definitely... They were definitely looking for something or knew about what was happening with the silver blade definitely. or going on but with the chest thing, of everlasting sorrow. Another thing to draw a connection between Wanda's skellies and the sirens, and, and this is also a connection between Wanda and Davy Jones, the Flying Dutchman. What does Wanda, What is the first time we see the Warsmith? On a skeleton ship that rises out of the depths of the sea, all skeleton ships spend most of their time under the ocean. Which is also what the Flying Dutchman does uh, the, when it rises up to the surface. So you would think if, if Wanda and her ships are like under the ocean and they rise to the surface, uh, maybe they have found these siren structures because they're spending so much time under the ocean. That's a really good point. And then that point. would kind of explain how they kind of learn about this and maybe decide to help the sirens. Yeah, I would not be surprised if Wanda's fleet was crafted by the sirens and she supplied the skeletons with the reaper's bones uh or the reaper crate or yeah no reaper's chests and reaper's chest yeah um and they the the ships were on supply by the sirens and the reason why there's so many galleons and sloops is just due to the nature of when brigs were introduced into the sea of thieves and that's why maybe we haven't seen skeleton brigs yet is because there haven't been enough sunk for the sirens to be able to start building those up but galleons were Actually, plenty yeah. i i love this i love this train of thought um but i did want to wrap it up because we've been going a while and we've had some technical <laughs> difficulties along the way so i want to make sure a lot of this is actually recording as opposed to just gibberish on on bad corrupted data um so but uh i love the it's idea like, oh sorry what do you say like any other kind of prominent law bits and ideas that you kind of really want to try and address i feel like we've covered a fair amount of it uh we we talked about um the the involvement with the gems the war between the sirens uh and the the rest of sea of thieves uh we've talked a lot about the the siren king uh the transformation that he had with the siren queen their love uh we touched on the the warrior and the two different warriors that we've had um, and I did get my crazy theory about Wanda finding the Siren King's bones and putting up a memorial while she was creating the Reaper's uh, bones hideout um, and then connecting that to the Sirens. Uh, Jeff and, and Dre, you guys have brought some awesome, awesome thoughts and conversation to, the, to these ideas. Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, was there anything that you guys can think of off the top of your head that we didn't cover that, that were in the that, journals? That's something really interesting I found. I can't remember whose journals it is. It's in one of the journals of the shrines. They mention about how 
when the ancient king heard that the warrior was trying to find a way to become a merfolk, that they sent the high priest to try and stop him. And oh, the yes. high priest was a master of potion and poison brewing and stuff like that. And so they created a potion that changed their voice to sound like the sea queen and then tried to poison the ancient warrior with a arrow. If you go back to some of the stories from Stars of the Thief, there is a story in which the snake um, constellation tries to poison the ancient warrior, but the warrior was too strong and flung the snake into the heavens. This is an interesting parallel that kind of potentially suggests that these constellations, these characters, may have also been ancients or people because the snake would have been in that case the high priest which kind of made me then wonder like you've got other characters like one eye the shark was that somebody else another kind of ancient who used to go around spying on people or was a messenger um yeah i mean you've also got the stuff about sea queen breaking her promise with the old mother was old mother uh, an ancient was the kraken originally an ancient which is a crazy fairy, but no, you're. They they do say that the the kraken is her daughter, but I, f- I felt like that was figurative. But maybe yeah, that... the kraken is actually a daughter. I don't know. I mean, the power of the gems is Jeff, as you mentioned, something that transforms people. I think it's I I think it's pretty I think it's a pretty good theory. I like it. Um, you you brought up the the constellations. One that I found that while, while we were talking about the uh, the warrior, the the one of the crab is called the courting crab. And it loves Queen, protects yeah. her beaches. Like that is that is clearly one of the ocean crawlers. Yeah, yeah, that was actually something. Oh, all all nice. the stuff about the crabs, all the crab paintings is either about other kind of weird crab things, but it does seem very much like it would have been about the ocean crawlers. It's really interesting, which, which brings to question like so much of the other stuff, like the proud eagle and the in the feather and the scarab. Like, who is the iron scarab in this case? Mm. Is that uh, isn't the it, iron scarab like described as the one who teaches them tools and stuff? So that yeah. could have been like a weaponsmith back it, then, or just somebody who made things for people. Or uh, like to, to reflect history, uh, when you have ancient tribes, you have Spanish conquistadors that come in, they are iron gods compared to the tribes um, with their with their metal, their plate metal. Maybe iron scarabs were pirates at the time. They brought in weapons that they uh, that they that they gave to the tribes to teach them how to build better weapons. And then talking about conquistadors, if you look at the design of the sort of skeletons that you see around in the shrines, they're all kind of wearing sort of outfits that are reminiscent of that kind of conquistador style. I love this. I lo- yeah. If, if, <laughs> if Mike and the team uh, dug that deep to really tie in some of these things, there's so many questions that I have with this, but I, I really do love this and trying to look at some of these constellations and see if now that we have kind of a better understanding of what happened back during the times of the ancients, um, I'm still very curious, like what happened to the ancients? Was it just the shroud? Was the shroud the thing that got rid of them? Did they leave? I think that did. There's sort of a mention in these journals as well that the sirens afflicted the ancients with an illness. And whether or not that was just one person's interpretation of the sirens turning them into ocean crawlers, or if something else did happen to the ancients that we don't know about yet. Yeah. Oh, man. 
it's such <laughs> such an mm. interesting thing um i'm i'm gonna leave it on this cliffhanger at this point people can start building up their own ideas if they if they want and i'd love to hear some um was there jeff did you have anything that you wanted to touch on before we head out uh not really i I did think it was cool last thing i'll say that one of the people we hear from in the journals is mercia um exploring one of the one of the tombs and finding sirens sleeping and being like oh i found a new species of merfolk and they're all asleep and they seem scary um and that kind of lends something to that timeline because we know that mercia has been canonically dead basically since the time of the pirate lord um and so she found the sirens way back then uh but they were still sleeping so this just kind of that it shows not all these journals were all just written in the past month or two leading up to this update like these are places that the most inquisitive people on the sea of thieves have discovered in the past um already and some of them are written more recent and some of them are written maybe years ago um just a cool little detail that's a yeah it's pretty cool that one of them is also written by marissa bell it's like the first mention of marissa bell in the actual game yeah bell yeah that is i think maybe the first mention of bell in the game you know yeah, so i know yeah I think you're right. I can't, I'm trying to think back to the tall tale, uh, with, um, I think it was Trish where she was talking about, no, no, I don't remember. It's yeah. like a passing mention of a person with merfolk earrings, but they're not named. That's what it was. And doesn't yeah. Mercia also have the merfolk earrings? So there's like, yeah, so it's like one of those two, basically. It could be anyone. Yeah. Yeah. But. And we, we don't know how many pairs of these earrings were out there, but we do know that, that mm-hmm. those two in particular had them. But yeah, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to when we finally get a little more scope on what's going on with Diving Bell and, and Nine Cats Nura because they're two of my favorite characters in the in the lore itself. Um, that have just been. Sorry. I would love to know more about them mm. and interact with them. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so I I I wanna I wanna uh, head out from here. Um, we need to come back and, and talk Sea of the Damned at some point. Uh, cause it, definitely. It, it's definitely, I'm, I'm hoping at some point we'll get a little more information because there's so many theories I have about it versus the tall tales versus the pirate Lord and the three daggers in his back and s- s- all that stuff, uh, that I would love to talk to you too about. Um, Dre, dead eye Dre, one of the best captains Wait. in Sea of Thieves. Uh, you are on Twitter, but or aside from working with uh, the the Merfolk's lullaby, as far as the the Sea of Thieves lore, the history of the Sea of Thieves, uh, and and helping Jeff on Golden Sands blog post over on Medium, um, where else can people get a hold of you if they want to talk to you about some of the lore? I mean, Twitter is probably the best way to sort of like send me across a message. Uh, if you're part of Ancient Isles University, if you're in there, you can give me a nudge and. Uh, sort of set up dms and sort of talk through there um they're probably the best places if you want to come reach out and talk about it uh i kind of start streaming um over twitch dead eye dre um we do a sea of thieves streams i kind of do want to try and dive into law law wherever i can so i suppose those are the best places to kind of get in contact or follow me awesome I, I appreciate your your everything that you do for the community is is so important and I think it really does need to be shouted out more because you and Jeff you guys both really do some awesome work. Um, Jeff, you've been around forever, man. You've been you've been covering Sea of Thieves since the get go. Uh, where can people get your content and where can they they talk to you about it? Uh yeah. So medium.com slash 
golden hyphen sands hyphen blog post that's the address um but then you know if you want to get see uh if you want to communicate with me or see everything we post and and get easy links uh twitter twitter's the way to go it's at golden sands blog uh or search golden sands blog post and i'm also uh on dk vine uh, staff at dkvine.com a rare and donkey kong fan site and so the conversation podcast if they ever do an episode about sea of thieves i'm on it so check out the conversation podcast and all of your uh podcasting apps and uh also twitch.tv slash dk vine we stream sea of thieves once a week every sunday and i'm almost always on there so yep those are those are the things i appreciate it and yeah uh shout out to heil from dk vine uh constantly putting out the the love and respect that donkey kong and the dku universe deserves uh, i love their breakdown of the the Nintendo Direct that came out, uh, gosh, that was that was a while ago now at this point, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, I, I love listening to you to your episodes when you jump on there. I know a lot of the DK crew don't typically subscribe to Sea of Thieves, but because it's in the, the pantheon of Donkey Kong, it still still counts as uh, DKU. Um, but yeah, I love I love listening to him and his four hour episodes uh, when you guys deep dive into the prior yeah. season. So um, I'm looking forward to when you guys talk about a pirate's life and and uh, dive deep into that. Um, I think that is going to do it. If you're listening to this still, congrats. Uh, you made it through the technical difficulties, which hopefully I will masterfully edit out and you'll get just a nice chunky little two hour episode. But uh, Dead Eye Dre, Jeff uh, Onan from Golden Sands Blog Post, thank you so much for you two joining me this episode to to dive into the lore, to cover the news, to do everything that pertains to Sea of Thieves. It is an absolute pleasure. I love talking to you two. And I can't wait till we do it again. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us on. Thanks a lot. It's great. Awesome. Brian Burton. It's been 26 years since the bombs fell. And since I've left the vault, I've been trying to rebuild. This isn't the Appalachia that I remember. There's so much more to everything going on. And I promise to find the answer. So if you're out there, if you're listening, just hone in on these coordinates. Remember, there's a place for you at the end. Omega. The Omega Broadcast Fallout Story is available on iTunes, Spotify, and many great podcasting sources. Hey there, my name is Jameson, or Big Cat. And I am Brenna, or Mother Goose. And together, we are the hosts of the DL Weekly Gaming News. Each week, we bring you the top stories from last week, as well as something you might have missed. Our goal is to start a conversation 
about what's going on in the world of gaming. And every week we have a special guest join us in the chat room, where we discuss a different gaming-related topic and learn more about our guests in the 60-second download. And if that isn't enough, we also have Slim Jims. So come and hang out with us every week and join in on the conversation. Good luck and have fun, everybody. And remember, keep your goose loose.